It's not just a throwaway phrase when I want us to just kind of acknowledge for a minute that what a great day it is. <laughs> I, there, there are very few other ways that I might want to be spending today. I can't really think of anything else that could make today better than what we've already experienced today, seeing a dear sister come to the Lord, getting to spend time in fellowship with you all, and maybe the only thing that might make it a little better is if I was feeling just a little bit better today. But, you know, it's, it's a great day, and it's hard, to, it's hard to not pause for just a second to glorify God for all that he's done for us. You're thinking about our theme this year, hand to plow, and all the work that's involved in working for the Lord. I mean, it is work, and you think about how much work it takes to be a Christian, especially today, especially in the dark world in which we live, you think about how much there is to do, how many people there are to save, how many lost people there are in this world, how many things that, that we all individually need to overcome ourselves, how our families are inundated with, with distractions and threats on every side. And, and you think about all the things that we can do together, and, and it's where... I think our theme over the last couple of lessons has really helped me, especially in reading the book of Acts, as we've been studying about the church together. And I think this passage that Brother Jim read at the beginning of our, our lesson really kind of sums this all up very nicely. And this is where Sean started in this little series talking about the church as we've been studying. He says, I planted, this is Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And I love this term, I love this phrase, and it's actually the title of the lesson that Sean did when he started out this, this section of, of studies talking about the church. Talking about the church. We as the church, we are God's field. He also says we're God's building, but you know, let's stick to maybe one analogy here this morning and not get too confused. We're God's field. And that's important in thinking about our, our, our theme, our hand to the plow this year. When we think about being God's field as the church, we think about planting the seed. And just to recap a little bit of what Sean has already talked about, we plant the seed within our church, within really our, our membership here. We plant the seed of truth and unity of courage and love and zeal. These are things that, that are just at the core of who we are. We, fo we focus ourselves on this book. We focus ourselves on the pattern that God has given us, and we plant those things deep within our hearts and so that hopefully they take hold and hopefully they change us all from the inside out. And as we plant that seed, we then get to work doing things, hab habitual kinds of things, that really help that, that seed take root. We teach each other. We teach each other in our classes, in these lessons. We teach each other in song. We teach each other sitting across the table at a coffee shop from one another. I mean, we teach each other. We focus on truth and, and promoting that truth. We, we like being together. We like being with each other. This is something that, you know, I know a lot of churches focus maybe only on this portion of it, and maybe we focus less on that because they focus more on that, but I think being together is such an important thing for us. We are a community of people. 
We are a community of God's people. We are the body of Christ. We are the field in which the seed is planted, and we like being around each other. We focus on kingdom work. We do things to promote the spread of the gospel. We focus on doing all the things that, that shine the light of God's glory into this dark world. And we are on our knees in prayer regularly for the success of what we do here, for the health and the, and the safety and the comfort of, of all of our members. We're people of prayer. And as we think about all of the things that we do, we sort of now naturally, I think, lead to this, this last stage. And that's really where this lesson is focused on. As we, as we kind of step back, and I love this particular lesson in this series. I love this particular lesson throughout. You know, we've talked about the field of our hearts. We've talked about the field of our families. And now we're talking about the field of the church. I love this particular lesson where we get to step back and we get to ask ourselves this question. What does a fruitful and productive church do? Who is impacted by a fruitful and productive church? I think I've told the story of our unfortunate citrus tree in our backyard. If, you have, if you've been over to our backyard, you probably have seen this unfortunate citrus tree. It takes up a lot of room. It has a lot of fruit on it that tastes disgusting. It, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's nice, but like, we're going to tear it out. We're getting ready to tear it out, actually, as we're planning. We're going to put we're going to put a fireplace there <laughs> because a fireplace would be much more useful than that tree that just doesn't do anything. It's not helpful. It's not useful. It's a, it's a pomelo tree if you're, if you're curious. And pomelo is not very good. Anyway, a, a side, side topic from the actual lesson. But you think about a tree that is good and productive and useful. Now, there's a tree right next to it in our backyard that's just amazing. I love that tree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that tree. I, I would never even think to, I, I want to baby that tree. I want that tree to always be there because it is a tree that I love. It gives me shade. It keeps me from seeing my neighbor's yard. I love it. It's wonderful. But that tree is useful. That tree is productive. It, it's, it's good for us. The other tree, not so much. What happens when, when we as the church are functioning well? Who is impacted by that? And I think... This is one of those topics, I, I always talk about topics like these as like whale sermons. You know, there, it's so many, there's so much to cover. Like if we could just, we could dance around from verse to verse to verse to verse to verse all day long, and we may not be able to encompass the entire subject of what impact does the church have. God's design for the church is amazing. And God knows that the church can do some amazing things, and he's designed it to be that way. With Jesus as the head, the church is incredibly impactful. And so maybe rather than just trying to cover everything impossibly, let's maybe focus ourselves a little bit. As we've been studying the book of Acts, we're about halfway through the book of Acts at this point in Acts chapter 14, as we're going to be reading here this upcoming week. If you can just think from your reading over the past few, few months, thinking about the book of Acts, as the church has been established, what is the church doing as, as it impacts the world? How is the church making an impact on the world? Because I think a fruitful church, a church that is productive, a church that is, is growing, 
A healthy and productive church blesses the lives of those within it and those without. Those inside the church and those outside the church, the church blesses people's lives. Now, clearly, we, we uphold the truth. You know, we, we bind together. We do all kinds of things. And if I were to ask you, what impact has the church had on you? Or what impact has the church had on people you know? We might get just a variety of different answers. You might be able to go to all kinds of places throughout the Bible looking at examples of what the church is able to do, what the church, what kind of impact the church has. And maybe let's focus ourselves a little bit because looking at the book of Acts, I think it's so important that we see how people within the church, as the church was being established in the first century, there in the book of Acts, we can look no further than I think Acts chapter 9 to see how the church blesses those within who are converted. That is one of the biggest things we see in the book of Acts so far, up until chapter 14, so far there have been so many conversions to the faith. Right there in Acts chapter 2, obviously, we've seen all kinds of examples of, of faithful people coming to the Lord. We've seen Cornelius and others. But I think maybe one of the most striking is the conversion of Paul. Saul of Tarsus. We see how after he saw the light, after the scales were removed from his eyes, and he took food there in verse 19 and was strengthened, it says for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. He was with the church. Paul was with the church there at Damascus, these disciples. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has not he come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. If you were a, if you were a member of the Lord's church, if you were a, a faithful disciple of Jesus and you saw Saul of Tarsus come your way, what would you think? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> um, why is he here? I think it would be pretty obvious to you and, and maybe to, to everyone around you that this is the guy who has been making a real mess of the Lord's people. And why is he here? But the church, to their credit, as Paul would come to them, the church welcomed Paul in. The church later on, when Barnabas would basically vouch for Paul, when Barnabas would basically help everyone to see how Paul had converted, how, how he had come to the faith, Paul was welcomed into the faith and was blessed because he had, he had come to the Lord. And I want us all to see that when somebody comes to the Lord, I don't care where you came from what your life was about before, what sins you were struggling with, how bad of a person you were. When you come to the Lord and you are added to his church, you're one of us. Amen? Amen. You're one of us. And that is incredibly, incredibly comforting to know. 
As we talked about planting the seed of unity within our church, that is the kind of unity we're talking about because we love each other, because we understand the power that Jesus has to change our lives, how he's changed my life, and I know he can change yours too. And when we see that converted people come to the Lord, when they turn their life over and give it to Jesus, we know that they're one of us. And we as the church can surround them and encourage them and bless them, and that is what we do as a church. That is what a fruitful and productive church does. No fighting, no bickering, no holding things over their head, no, oh, well, remember that one time back before you were, no, 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 no. We're united, and we love each other. And that is what we as the church, as a fruitful, productive church, can do for each other. We bless those who are converted within our number. But we also see in the book of Acts that there are plenty of times where the Lord's people were persecuted, and it was good that they were not alone in that persecution. You can go back to Acts chapter 4. I think this is a, a great example, if you remember this, from a few, roughly a couple months ago in our readings. Acts chapter 4, where we see how Peter and John were, you know, really not in a good situation. They were told not to speak in the name of the Lord anymore, and they, they kind of didn't listen to that order, right? Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends. And it doesn't say the church here, but you know the friends that they're going to are the church, right? You, you get that. They're going to the church. They're going to, to their community of believers. They go to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had to say to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I know that's a long reading, but can you just imagine putting yourself in that scenario? Two of our members, two of our, our faithful disciples come to us, and they report all the things that are happening, and we collectively shout together that may the, may the word of God be proclaimed in this earth. May God give us strength to go out into the world and speak boldly and to do the things that God has wanted us to do. And at the end of that conversation, the ground shook. I mean, come on. That would be pretty impressive. And where did that happen? Where did this occur? It happened within the Lord's people. It happened within the community of believers. We as the church bless those who are persecuted. And this not only we see here in Acts chapter 4, but plenty of other places. You'll notice that when Paul in Acts chapter 14, as we're going to read this upcoming week, when Paul was stoned near to death and he was dragged outside of the city, what, who are the first people to meet him out there? The disciples. 
they picked him up and they brought him back into the city. The disciples were there. The church was there. We are there for people in our number who are persecuted. And we don't have a doom and gloom look on our face. We know that the Lord is in charge. And it's not Pollyanna or, or burying our heads in the sand to point to God and his plan and say it's within his control. And we trust him. We as the church can encourage each other who are going through difficult times. That is one of the great blessings that we have together. And I know whenever I've been through difficult times and I've gotten a hug and I've gotten a card of encouragement, I've gotten somebody putting their hand around me and just telling me it's going to be okay. You know, even if somebody doesn't know what to say, just knowing that you're there, just knowing that you're there praying for me, just knowing that you have... You have enough care and love and concern for me that you see what I'm going through, even if maybe you don't understand. That's what we do for each other as the church. So we as a fruitful and productive church bless the persecuted within our number. And you know, if you know me and you know my hobby horse topic, you know where I'm going next. The, the church blesses the poor. I love, the, I love this thought because as we look at Acts, one of the things you see just constantly over and over and over again, the church doing for those within the church's membership, within the midst of the church, is helping the poor. You see it right off the bat. Right off the bat when, when the disciples were being added to the church in Acts chapter 2, you see them selling their possessions and giving the proceeds to the poor. You see Acts chapter 4, them having all things in common, how they were sharing with each other, and if anyone had need, they were taking care of those needs. Acts chapter 6, you see how there were, there were needy widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, and they needed help. And it was causing problems within the church, and so they were appointing seven men of good report to go and take care of that work, and they did that. And the word of God continued to spread, continued to increase. The number of the disciples there in in chapter 6, verse 7, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They were able to focus on what they were doing because the church took care of the need. And then we see, of course, in Acts chapter 11, as we read a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 11, how there was a, a prophet named Agabus who came and foretold in the spirit that a great famine was going to be in all the land. And in verse 29 of chapter 11, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the el to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. What the church did together was they got their money together and they sent it to help the people in Judea. What does the church do? The church takes care of people's physical needs when it's necessary. I know we, we like to think sometimes that the church focuses only on spiritual things, and that is our focus, 100%. Our focus is not on making people you know, healthy and wealthy and all the things that, that... No, that's not our focus. Our focus is on the spiritual things, but when we can do something to take away the distraction of life's concern for someone, we're going to do it. And we do that together. And praise God that he's allowed us to do that. So that when I have a lack, you can supply it. And when you have a lack, I can supply it. That we have all things in common. And that's the way it was 
from the very beginning within the church. So you, you kind of step back and you, and you look at the church. These are just three things from you know, the first 14 chapters of Acts that we've been reading so far. And, and I know you've probably thought of a, a handful more. There are so many things that the church collectively does for its membership. Being a part of the church, being a member of the Lord's church is a blessing. It's a blessing. I know so many times, especially now in this, in this day and age where it's real easy for, you know, someone to stay at home and maybe watch services online or, you know, kind of view things from afar and all the modern technologies that we have. If given the opportunity to be a part of the Lord's people, do it. Be a part of the Lord's church because that's what he has designed. And we see in Acts, this is what the Lord's people were constantly doing, being together being with each other and blessing each other's lives. But it's not just about what goes on in these four walls. It's not just what goes on between this number within this church. It also is what goes on outside of these walls, what goes on outside in the world. There are a lot of people, and especially as we've been seeing here in the book of Acts, there are a lot of people who oppose what we do. And all the more reason for us to bind together in unity and love helping each other through persecution in times of difficulty because there is great opposition in the world. There was great opposition in this time, even when, when the church was getting started. We see how, even in this time, there was a lot of people, there was a lot of religious leaders who did not understand what was going on. And you remember Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. I love the story of Gamaliel. I loved reading that section in, of Gamaliel. You remember how his wise words were that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, you know, we can't really know if, if what they're doing is from God or not until we just see it play out. Just give it some time. Because if they're successful, if, the, if their Jesus movement, quote unquote, takes off and goes somewhere, then it is from God, and we better not fight against it. There are people who oppose the message of Jesus. As there was in this time, there still are today. There are people who oppose the work of the church and what we do. Maybe even more now than there were 10 years ago, 20 years ago in this country. People don't appreciate what the church stands for. And we need to make sure that we're ready for that. And that we're not oppositional in return, but that we show them who we are. We show them what we are all about, because those people who oppose us, we want them to be a part of our church. See, that's the weird thing. And I love this, this thought from Acts chapter 5. When you think about Gamaliel, I know everyone who reads that story probably wonders to themselves, like, I wonder if Gamaliel ever gave himself to the Lord. I mean, I sure hope he did, knowing what kind of a, a thoughtful person that he was. But that's the thing. When you see these Jewish people who are trying to persecute the church, when in Acts chapter 13 and 14, when you see these Jewish troublemakers running around and causing so much difficulty for the Lord's people and stoning Paul and inciting the crowds, I know what Paul is really thinking is, you're one of my brothers, and I want you to be a part of the Lord's church too. That's what we saw about Stephen. Remember, as Stephen was stoned, to death by the, the Jewish leaders. He wanted for them to repent. 
He wanted for them to change and to come to a knowledge of Jesus. He wasn't oppositional. And we as the church, collectively, stand out as a light in the world. And hopefully the opposition is blessed by us being a light in the world. Hopefully those who don't understand us, who don't get us, who hate us maybe, will want to know why we're so different. Now I know the way is narrow that leads to life, but I can be an optimist. I can be an optimist to think that if Jesus could change me and he could change you, that he can change anyone. And so let's bless the church, or let's bless the world as the church, as we stand out as lights in the world. But even, even the misguided, even those who are just lost. We talk about lost people. And I think maybe we've lost what lost really means sometimes. Lost means lost. Lost is not intentionally going the wrong way because they know it's the wrong way to go. Lost means I have no idea where I am. And how many people do you talk to in your life who are just aimless and lost and don't know where they're going? It's not that they're out there intentionally trying to make a mess of their lives, but everywhere they go, everywhere they turn, they can't find the right way. They can't find something that is satisfying and fulfilling. That is where we stand out as lights, as the church together, where we show them this is the way. This, this is truth. This is happiness. This is peace. This is where it is. And we see that in Acts chapter 14, as, as we talked about in our first lesson, how Paul and Barnabas, they go there to Lystra, and just the people there are so misguided. They do one miracle. They do one amazing miracle in the presence of all the people, and all the people just... Well, they go off the deep end. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to worship them as Zeus and Hermes and all kinds of stuff. They're just, they are so misguided. And you know what Paul doesn't do? By the way, when we get to Acts chapter 19, file this chapter away as well. Just remember Acts 14 when we get to Acts 19 as he's in Athens, kind of having the same conversation. But they rush out into the crowd after tearing their clothes. And you know what they tell them? Why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, so that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all, that, and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know what he did? He didn't quote the old law there to them. He didn't go and try to teach them some great philosophical truth. He just said, open your eyes and see the evidence that God has so clearly shown you in nature about himself. And he teaches to them. He points them in the right direction. And you know what Paul and Barnabas would not have been able to do without the church's help to do this work? Remember who sent Paul and Barnabas out. Remember where they return to at the end of chapter 14 and give a report of all that had happened. Who was it? The church in Antioch. In verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. It was the church that enabled Paul and Barnabas to go out there and to teach, and the church was responsible for 
for the message and for the, for the audience and for making that happen. And that is what we as the church can do. We can lead the lost people to be not lost anymore. And a faithful church, a fruitful church does that. But just an extension of that point and the last point in this lesson is that we, we focus on the nations. And that is definitely what we see and what we've started to see in our, in our reading in Acts. In our reading in Acts, we've, we've seen this shift from the Jews and from the, the religious people of Jesus' day, of the first century, and we start to see that shift starting with Cornelius to the Gentiles. And as we've seen back even in Isaiah 49, as we talked about in our first lesson, we've seen that that was God's plan all along. It was not God, this is not like a plan B, like, oh, well, now we're going to have to go to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected Jesus. No, it was in God's plan all along to go to the Gentiles. But we see here with Cornelius coming to the faith and believing and the Holy Spirit falling on them. And Peter in Acts chapter 11, where does he go to report all that he'd seen and all the things that had happened? He goes to the church. He tells the church what happened. The Gentiles have a door of faith open to them. And when they heard it in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted, granted repentance that leads to life. And from that moment, the Lord's people, although they were Jews, although it felt kind of weird, although they, it took a transition for them to really open their mind to accepting Gentiles into their midst, they made it happen. Paul and Barnabas going out and they're teaching, going and, and confronting the sins of, of the Gentiles around them. And as we read about in our first lesson, again, they shook the dust off their feet after they'd been rejected so many times, and they went to the Gentiles. That's where they went. That's what they focused on. That's who they focused on. And that, doesn't that fit with Jesus' great commission? All the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. It's everyone. And our focus is everyone. We bless everyone. We're not just blessing a certain small subset of people. The church does not just focus on just a, a small, you know, niche group of, of nice, well-dressed people. Like, that's not our focus. Our focus is on everyone, on all nations. And when we are a fruitful, productive church, that's, that's our aim, is to, to bring anyone, no matter who they are, to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know it, it's sort of a, a short list. Only six things that we talked about, six impactful things that the church is doing. I want you to think on your own about what a fruitful church has done for you. What this church has done for you. What maybe another congregation that you've been a part of, what, what, what have they done for you? What is the Lord's church when it's fruitful and active and working, when it's doing everything the way that it should be doing? What, is, what impact does that have on you and your community? I think it's so important for us to see that as we step back and look at God's design, how amazing it is that he's given us this body, this field that we can all be a part of and enjoy the blessings of his presence, that we can enjoy the blessings of each other, that we can enjoy the blessings of a promise and a hope for eternity in heaven someday. And I, that's where I want you to be. 
I want you to have the kind of peace, the kind of confidence that at the end of this life, you will wind up surrounding the throne of glory, singing praises to the king. And you can only do that if you have a relationship with him now. If you're waiting, if there's something that's standing in your way that's keeping you from giving your life to the Lord, become a part of his church. Let it go. Become a part of his church by confessing his great name, repenting of your sins, and being baptized. And we'll help you. We'll stand beside you, as we've talked about in this lesson. That's our job, to hold everyone up and to encourage you on your journey toward heaven. If you're subject to the gospel call, please come as we stand and sing.